I introduced a series a couple of weeks ago um, on the on some lists that are essential for s- successful spiritual living in the fourth chapter of Philippians. Praise list, prayer list, ponder and practice list of the three. We're at prayer list, beginning at verse 6. You could probably, uh, and you, you, I know you can quote this uh, with me as I read it. Be not anxious, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Bible has much to say about worry, anxiety, anxious moments, and fretful experiences. Being a Christian does not exempt us from these things. Knowing God does not immunize us from anxious moments and the things that cause us to worry. We can, uh, we can have God in our heart, but we're still human. And we still live in the human situation, even though we are saved and we're still subject to the things that cause worry and anxious moments and fretful times. If that's not true, then the Bible wouldn't have so much to say about how to cope with it. So it's kind of intimidating, I suppose, when the Apostle Paul comes and says, be anxious for nothing. One translation has it, don't worry about anything. Don't you just love it when somebody comes up to you and says, now don't worry, cheer up. Makes you want to hit them in the mouth, in a Christian way, of course, but... uh, Everybody's got good advice, and and giving advice is a lot easier than practicing good advice. As we all know, it's one thing to say, cheer up, things could be worse. It's another thing to cheer up. And so it seems a little intimidating to me that the Apostle Paul comes in this time, and in in this passage, and says, uh, cheer up, don't worry about anything. The Bible is full of what I call impossible admonitions, and this is one of them. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry. And we're fortunate, really, we're blessed in that the Bible doesn't leave us there. It, gives, it goes on to tell us how that's possible. In fact, he gives us a kind of a, some clues, some insight into how you can be anxious for nothing, how you can worry about you won't have to worry about anything. Two-point sermon. First of all, because we have an alternative, which is a proposal. Now, Apostle Paul doesn't suggest that, that, you know, that we live in a vacuum. He's not saying we're to go around you know, pretending that everything's all right, you know, trying to pretend to live in a make-believe world trying to talk ourselves into cheering up. He's not talking about that at all. He's just saying that instead of tearing yourself to pieces with anxiety and worry, I submit an alternative to that, and the alternative is to pray. Now, there are two factors that enter into prayer, as Paul sees it, that makes that a viable alternative. One factor is the magnitude of prayer... And the other factor is our gratitude in prayer. So it's magnitude and our gratitude. It's magnitude is that we can pray about everything. In everything. You can pray about everything. 
Now you say, well, I know that you're supposed to pray. You know, you come to church and you pray about folks that are sick and you pray for the missionaries and you pray that the preacher will have a short sermon. And I know you do that. And, and you say, well, I know we're supposed to pray about these religious things. But do you mean that we can pray about everything? That means that I can pray about those bills I owe and... Does it mean that I can pray that my son will win his little league baseball game? I can pray about everything. You can pray about everything. If it's big enough for you to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it concerns you, it concerns God. If there's anything in your heart that causes you concern, you can know that it's the concern of God. For there's nothing that lies beyond the range of His concern. You can pray about everything. I heard a preacher tell about one time, this lady, she was uh, giving her testimony at a, an intercessory prayer banquet. She was a single parent about middle age, and she had a, a teenage son about middle school age. And one day she was, uh, you know, decided she'd bake a pie, and she had it timed out just right so that she'd put the pie in, and, and uh, she could go to school and get her son before the pie got done. So they'd have a warm piece of pie, you know, for a little snack. So she put her pie in and set the timer on and, and, and got ready, you know, thinking, you know, i got some things to do before I go get my son. About that time, the phone rang. And the nurse at the school said, uh, Miss Smith, whatever her name was, said, your son is sick, and I think you, ought to, you better just come get him. You know, let him go home. He's not feeling well. So she jumped in the car, and she's thinking, I'll have plenty of time to get my son, get back before the pie gets done. When she got to school, the nurse said, you know, he's got a pretty high fever. I... I believe I'd take him to the doctor. If he just stopped by to, at the doctor on the way home and ch- have him checked out, I'd feel you know, a lot better about it. And she got all frustrated, got excited, forgot about her pie. On the way home, she stopped, and uh, the child went in, and they saw the doctor, and he said, hey, you got he's got a throat infection. I'm going to write him out a prescription. He'll be okay. Just stop and get this prescription filled on the way, on the way home. So she took it by the, the, the pharmacy and left the prescription and took him on home, and Still didn't even think about the pie. Gave him the key. He went inside, you know, to go to bed. She was going to go down to the pharmacy to get the prescription. I'll be filled by now. She went inside, got the prescription. Still hadn't even thought about her pie. When she got out to the car, she found, lo and behold, she'd locked the keys in it. Now, first time she thought about her pie. Here I am, this pie is burning up in the oven. My my son's home sick, and the keys are locked up in my car. And she just broke down and started crying. You know how women do. <laughs> just started crying right there on the sidewalk. And she said, now, you know, while I'm, sitting, while I'm standing there crying, you know, in frustration and, 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 and worry, she said, all of a sudden she thought, I, I'm, I'm, I, I should pray about this. So she said, I just paused and I, I just prayed. And uh, she said, I had a coat hanger. I thought about getting a wire coat hanger and said, I... I, I Tried to get, you know, but I didn't know how to use it. He said, I'm standing there, you know, frustrated and crying, and I, these wire coat hangers get me nowhere. I'm just praying God will help me. And this old clunker comes driving up, and guy pulls in, backs up right in front of her. Guy gets out, he's all, you know, scuzzy looking guy, dirty, got old beard and hair that's all unkept. And so she says, Sir, could, could, excuse me a minute, could, do you know what to do with this wire coat? He said, Sure, I know what to do with that. He said, would you help me? She said, he said, yeah, I think I can. He said, he ran that coat hanger down the side bed, uh, window and about five seconds had that door open. And she said, I told him, I said, you just, you're wonderful. 
Man, you're the sweetest boy. I'd hug you if you'd let me. You're just so nice. He said, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm really not. Yeah, you are. He said, no, I'm really not a nice person. He said, why would you say that about yourself? He said, well, I just got out of prison <laughs> two months ago. So you've been to prison? Why were you in prison? You, you guessed it, didn't you? She said, I'm a car thief. And she said, and she said right there on the sidewalk, he said, I just prayed, Lord, thank you for sending me a professional. And I pray about everything. You bet you can. Now, the magnitude of this, of this prayer that Paul is talking about is found in the words he uses. As a matter of fact, Paul gets so excited about this, he can't even find the right word. So he uses three. He said, your prayer, your supplication, your request. I mean, oftentimes the Apostle Paul gets so filled with his subject. Read the book of Ephesians sometime. And if you could read that in the Greek New Testament, I mean, he, doesn't, he didn't even pause. There's no, there were no commas, there are no periods. The Apostle Paul just gets to, so excited about his subject, he just piles word on top of word. And so he gets so excited when he thinks about the magnitude of prayer that you can bring everything to God and nothing lies beyond his concern. That he, he uses all the words he can think of. And the word for prayer there is the word that really refers to one's communion. It's not even necessary to say a word. It's that intimate feeling that you get when you, that dynamic that occurs when you're just in the presence of God. And he uses the word supplication, which means that I can tell God everything that bothers me, even the things that I want. And that word request means those specific needs that I have and that I know about in other people's lives. And he said, I can take all of this and lay it before God. And that's an alternative word. I want you to notice something interesting about verse 6. Little word 2, he says, Let your requests be made known to God. It's not really the usual word. It's, it means, it's, it's the Greek word unto, but it's not the word that means movement toward an object. It's really the word that means face to face with. Now watch this. It's what, they ta- what John is talking about in his prologue when he says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. It means face to face with. And he's talking about the kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And he says this prayer, this, the magnitude of this prayer is this, that you can go into the very presence of God face to face like Jesus did. And he's talking about something that's not mechanical and rote and cold and formal. He's talking about something intimate that occurs. That's the magnitude of it. I read about the other day about a guy who true story. Out in Arizona, he's invented, what, he's invented a prayer box. I haven't got mine. It's on order. But this prayer box is, is based, you know, it's fixed with a computer, and it's got any kind of prayer on it that you'll ever think about you'll ever need to pray. And all you got to do is just hit the button, and it'll pray for you. Literally, a voice will come on, and all you got to know is just hit the right button. doesn't say what happens if you hit the wrong one. But so, I mean, you can watch the soap operas and pray at the same time that way. All you got to do is just hit the right button. If I got a need for financial, you know, financial problem, I just get my prayer box out and I, I hit the right button and it prays my prayer for financial, you know, the supply of financial needs. Cold and mechanical and formal. You say, well, I never use a prayer box. You ever listen to yourself pray? You ever listen to yourself pray? had this lady in my church one time in a late renewal movement. She, I'm the most dynamic Christian I've ever been around. Her husband was president of the bank out in Lubbock, Texas. She said, I had this old shoe. I love this old shoe. 
you know, it's comfortable. He said, one day I lost it. <laughs> I'm looking for this old shoe. Looking at her and listening to her, I can imagine her house must look like a tornado hit it. I mean, she was loose in Jerusalem. And she said, I was looking for my old shoe. Couldn't find it. She said, finally, I found it under the bed. And she said, I just pulled it out and said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, that's not very cold and very mechanical and very formal, would you say? You ever listen to yourself pray? The magnitude of this prayer is, is that every one of you, like a child, goes to the Father. You talk like that? Not only is there the magnitude of it, but the gratitude of us, he says, with thanksgiving. Now, I've often noticed how the Apostle Paul connects prayer with thanksgiving. And this, this thanksgiving is aimed in three directions. It's aimed at the past. In other words, he's saying when you come to pray, you ought to come at the same time thankful for past, past answers. So that while you're engaged in this prayer, Oh, you're thinking about and rehearsing and recalling those wonderful answers that God has given in the past. And there's nothing that generates faith quite like the rehearsing of past answers to prayer. You ever notice that? The greatest sermon you'll ever hear on prayer is not a sermon you'll hear from a pulpit. It's, a, it's an answer to prayer. And when you begin to rehearse those answers that God has given in the past, what does it do? It just generates and inspires your faith. Like John Newton's hymn. His love in times past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to see me quite free. And when Israel saw the enemy at the gate, what did they do? They just called in the choir. Strangely enough. One of the most important divisions in Israel's army was the choir. I mean, they won one battle just with the choir singing. And whenever they'd see the enemy at the gate, they'd just call in the choir, and the choir would start rehearsing in song and praise all that God had done to Israel's past, all that God had blessed, how God had blessed them in the past. And it did two things. It brought fear to the enemy and faith to the believer. It'll do it every time. This, this Thanksgiving is directed to the past. It's directed to the future. It's like praying, it's thanking God in advance. It's telling God, Lord, I just thank you what you're going to do. And Jesus said that if you pray believing that you have received it, you'll have it. Now, a typical translation of that is this, that Jesus was saying that if you believe you've already got it, you'll get it. What that means is that you can thank God for that which is going to happen in the future because you're so confident it's going to happen as though you already had it. And it's thanksgiving that's directed at the present. I mean, it's, thanks, it's thanksgiving that God allows us to pray in the first place, that He has a throne of mercy, that He doesn't tire listening to our requests. You see, prayer is God's idea to begin with. We didn't come to God asking Him if we could pray. He came to us inviting us to pray. And He said He seeks those who worship Him. All right? So it's an alternative, which is a proposal. Secondly, two-point sermon. Second point. It is an answer, which is a promise. Now, he says, and the peace of God. Now, watch this carefully. That word and, that conjunction, connects what he's about to say with what he's just said. Now, what he's saying now is that if you pray about everything, the consequence of that will be peace. As a matter of fact, it connects to verses 4 and 5. And what he's saying is that if you 
come to God with everything and pray with thanksgiving and praise, the result of that will be that the peace of God will rule your heart and mind. Now let's suppose there is some circumstance or some situation that's causing you anxiety and concern. I've got some. I'll, if you want to talk with me privately about them, we'll take a week and I'll tell you those. There are some situations that do cause anxiety and, and worry. No question about it. And what happens when we pray is that we focus on the situation, the circumstance, the problem, and we ask God to change it. Now, isn't that the way we pray? This thing is worrying me to death. This is scaring me to death, Lord. So I'm going to trust you to remove this thing that scares me to death. I'm going to trust you to change this thing that scares me to death, that bothers me, causes me pain and concern. But that's not what God has promised to do. He's not promised that He's going to change the circumstance. What He's promised is He'll give you peace in the midst of it. Now, I'd like to stand up here this morning and tell you that if you pray believing, just with the faith of a grain of mustard seed, if you just pray believing, God would remove every situation in your life that's causing you pain. Some people will promise you that. They'll promise you that if you pray the right kind of way, if you pray believing enough, that God will change every circumstance to what you want it to be. That's not the promise. I wish I could say that, but it's not. What He does not promise is that He's going to change the circumstance. What He's promised is peace. You say to me, well, you mean, now tell me now, if I've got a situation and I pray for God to change that and I pray believing, you mean He's not? Well, maybe He will. Sometimes He does. Most of the time, He doesn't. I need to say that again. He may change the circumstance. Most of the time, He doesn't. That's why Tom Landry in one of his biographies tells about one day, one day we were fixing to play the Minnesota Vikings he got his team together. They'd always had prayer before the game. The prayer was something like this, Lord, help, the best, help us to do our best and that kind of stuff. And he decided that, you know, that's not the way you pray. So he said he got his team together and he, he, he shocked them all. He got up and he said, Lord, help us to beat the stuff in there, beat the snot out of the Vikings today. And they went out there and got beat 55 to 6. He said they got back in the locker room and somebody said, well, coach, it didn't work. I'm shocked that you would even pray like that. He said, boy, that didn't work. Better try something. He said, no, it did work. For the first time, I experienced defeat without my insides ripping out. You know what he's saying? He's saying that when he prayed about everything, what he got was not a changed situation, but peace about it. Now I've discovered as, as I've lived my life that God has changed very little of what I prayed for Him to change. I'm praying about some things right now that I wish God would change. I have, I have seen very little change in those situations. But in every situation I have found the peace of God. And which is the greater miracle I ask you? 
Is the greater miracle to have peace and contentment because the situation is exactly like you want it? Or is the greatest witness to the grace and power of God when you have peace in the midst of a bad situation? I mean, a lost person. A lost person can feel peace and contentment and satisfaction if everything is going smoothly. Which is the greater miracle? The greater miracle is when a person has peace and contentment in the midst of a bad one. For we pray and ask the Lord to calm the storm in the water, and what He wants to do is calm the storm in you. And so in the book of Matthew, they got out there in that lake, and Jesus went to sleep, and they got in the storm. And after a while, they woke him up and they asked him what you wanted to ask him again and again. Lord, don't you care that we're dying? Lord, don't you care that this hurts me? Don't you care my loved ones are suffering? Don't you care? And the scripture says that Jesus got up and he rebuked the disciples for their little faith. Then he rebuked the storm. Now watch the order. He rebuked their little faith first before he calm the storm. Why? Let me tell you something. Listen. There's something for you to fear more than the storm. And the thing you need to fear more than the storm is that you'll not have enough faith to stay there in the storm. Now hear me listen. Listen to me carefully. Some of you may say, I'm just so afraid that I'll come get old and I'll not be financially secure. Let me tell you something you need to fear more than that, is that you'll get old and not have enough faith to trust God in the midst of a lack of financial security. And some people say, you know, I'm just scared to death that I'm going to have cancer. It just scares me to death. Let me tell you something. There's this fear you ought to have more than that. It's the fear that you'll not be able to trust God when you do have cancer. You understand what I'm saying? Is that the peace God offers is not the removal of the situation, but peace in the midst of it. And that's the greatest witness to His grace. Now, two things about this peace, and then we're out of here. It passes, surpasses all comprehension. Now, the, 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 the debaters, the commentators, argue over what that means. Now, when you see them argue, when you, when you read in commentaries and they argue about the meaning of something, they give you two possibilities. Take both of them. I mean, both of them probably right. It means both. It means that peace lies, watch this, outside the realm of understanding. Now, I want you to understand, I want you to see what I'm saying here. There are some times that we think that if we just understood, we'd have peace about it. If we just had answers, we'd have peace. So people say to me, you know, if I just knew why this happened, I think I could accept it better. I think that if I just had some answers as to the questions that have, that have plagued me, I could be at peace. I, not, not necessarily. Because you can't necessarily be assured that if you have all the answers, that's going to bring peace. Not always is that true. So Wiersbe has written a book called Why Us? And in this book, he makes this profound statement. He says, we live by promises, not by explanations. Now listen to what he says, quote, Nobody can fully understand all the questions, but even if he could, 
The answers are not guaranteed to make life easier, suffering more bearable. God is not standing at the end of a syllogism, nor is peace of mind found at the conclusion of an argument. In every area of life, there must always be an element of faith, marriage, business, science, and ordinary everyday experiences. Faith is one of the forces by which men live, wrote Henry James, and the total absence of it means collapse. What he's saying is this, you can have all the answers in the world and that won't guarantee you'll have peace. I mean, sometimes the more you know, the less peace you have. My wife says, Gerald, you know how much money we have in the bank? I say, no, and don't tell me. Do you know how much our bills are this month? No, and don't let me know. But she tells me anyway. Now, do you think that the more I understand about how much money I have in the bank and how many bills we owe, do you think that gives me more peace? Wrong. Now, what I'm saying is this, is that you can have all the answers in the world, and that doesn't guarantee peace, because peace does not come with understanding. Secondly, the second thing it may mean is this. I think it does mean this. Is that the peace of God lies beyond your ability to explain. Now watch. I've had people say to me, you know, I just didn't know I could do it. I came to this situation, I thought I would panic. I thought I would crater. I didn't. I can't. I don't understand it. I'm surprised. This surprises me that I, you know what I'm saying? I used to listen as a kid to people talk about missionaries who when told if they didn't renounce their faith, they would be martyred. And I'd be thinking to myself, I could never do that. I could never ever be that kind of a Christian, committed Christian, to the point that, that, I, that if they came to me and said, okay, if you don't denounce your faith, I'm going to take your loved one. I'm going to kill it. Kill her, kill him. And these people would talk, you know, but you never know. It might surprise you what would happen in the situation when you got there. You listening to me? I'm looking into the faces of people here this morning who if 20 years ago somebody had told you you'll have to face what you have just faced, you would have said, I won't be able to make it. But you did. Because the peace of God lies beyond our comprehension. It just surprises us. Hallelujah. And there's one last thing to say. Not only does it surpass all understanding, it keeps your hearts and your minds. Everybody that knows anything about Philippians knows. Anybody who knows about Philippians knows that he's talking about this garrison, this sentinel that walked around this fort. And as they would see him walking and hear his footsteps, around this fortress, a guard, really, sentinel, it brought them peace. And so Tennyson put it in words when he said, Love is and was my king and ward and will be, though as yet, Within the court on earth I sleep, encompassed by his faithful guard. 
And here at times a sentinel who moves about from place to place and whispers to the worlds of space in the deep night, all is well. You've heard that whisper. And you've heard those footsteps. And you know in the deep night that he's in charge and he's in control and all is well. And that's an alternative to worry. And I read this and I'm through about a group of people who were sailing who were on ship actually the ship was named Zam Zam it was a sailing vessel and it was torpedoed by the Germans at the start of World War II and these many of these were Christians and some were missionaries and they were taken on board this German torpedo boat and they were separated and the men were, were at one end of the ship and the women were at the other and they spent the night separated from their loved ones, cold and frightening experience. But the next morning they were allowed to, 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 to be together. And you know the questions, well, how did how'd you make it? Were you, did you get cold? How, did you sleep? Were you frightened? They were asking each other that. Was this old Lutheran pastor said, well, I'll tell you what I did. He said, I remembered the words of the psalmist. Behold, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He said, so I just said, Lord, since you're going to be up tonight anyway, if it's all right with you, I think I'll just go on and sleep. And that's the alternative to worry. Let's pray. Father, I ask you today to make real to us this word. Those of us who live in ulcer gulch tear ourselves to pieces with fear and anxiety and worry. God, help us. Pray about everything. Supplication, thanksgiving, requests, knowing that the result, the peace of God, shall keep our hearts and minds, Christ Jesus, in whose name I pray.